Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who have been successful because they found that point in their lives to give themselves permission to go and do it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact, dreamers and doers. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. And our guest today is Barrett Ayers, who's the president of Adhesion Wealth. Hi, Barrett. Hey, Doug. So first off, I love your mission. Your business is focused on helping RIAs grow their business, which is our mission in a bit of a different way. So we have a lot to discuss. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, that's right. Our mission is we, we try to help independent fee-based investment advisors be fantastic and successful in their journey. You know, we, we started the company with a mission to help advisors. We thought it was really important. At the time when the company was founded, Back in 2004, the, uh, the space for investment advisors was a little bit different than it was today. We really thought that the need to help investment advisors have a platform to grow and build and scale was really important. We didn't see much out there in the marketplace, and we really believe in the fee-based independent advisors and the power of what it means to have kind of a conflict-free investment process for, uh, for individual investors. That was our mission, and we've kind of been sticking to it ever since. That's it, and I'm sticking to it. So let's start with what you're seeing out there in the marketplace, and how about fee compression? What's going to be the effect of that moving forward? Yeah, it's funny. I was at a uh, I was at a conference last week, and that was the prevailing sentiment uh, across everybody. Whether you know, really almost any segment you're in, whether you're in the asset manager community, whether you're an advisor, whether you're an uh, independent broker dealer or a wirehouse. Fee compression is a real thing, and I think it's here to stay. We talked to a whole bunch of asset managers, and they're seeing their fees compress anywhere from you know twenty to thirty percent. I I don't think the next wave has kind of hit yet. I think advisors are probably bracing that investment advisory fees are going to start to uh, t- start to take hold. You know, it's challenging because we've seen a whole bunch of kind of non-conventional forms of competition brace the advisory community. Obviously, the the threats of the robo's I think are still out there. The other thing that we see a lot is, you know, different forms of competition from new entrants to the marketplace. You know, it is not difficult to start up a brand new investment advisory firm. It costs about $9,000 between things like, you know, registration fees. And really all you need at that point is kind of a computer and Excel. And you can call yourself an advisor or an asset manager. So between robos and kind of new forms of competitors and entrants to the market, markets get really crowded. And I think that's driving prices down. I do think, however, that some of the market corrections that we've kind of been grappling with over the last few weeks, I think it does give advisors an opportunity to say, wait a minute, stop, pause. You know, if you had a robo that you were working with, you know, it was difficult to call a robo and to ease fears and concerns. You know, now's the time to start talking about hedging strategies and, you know, buy low, sell high disciplines and, you know, basic buy low, sell high disciplines and rebalancing capabilities and things like that, that a robo may not be able to do. So from our perspective, we think it's actually a really good time for advisors to go into the market with the right message. The challenge, frankly, is that most advisors don't have the time to do that. So one of the things that we're encouraging advisors to do, and it's kind of a recurring drumbeat, a theme that we've been pressing for the last six months is really is pick a path. 
decompression being what it is and having some staying power, we think it's going to be really, really important for an advisor to choose whether they want to be an asset manager and provide non-personalized investment advice, picking stocks, picking bonds, or would you prefer to be a client manager, right? So there's only two paths in, I think, the advisor of the future. If you want to be a client manager, that means understanding your client very well, intimately, understanding their objection, objectives, understanding their risk profile, understanding the entire balance sheet, understanding where they're trying to go, what retirement looks like for them, and really becoming the advisor that most folks thought they were going to be when they got into the business. So I think, I think that's, the, that's the path forward. And the good news, the really good news, is if you kind of plot out what the P&L looks like for both folks on the asset management side versus folks on the client manager side, the P&L is much more attractive. Revenue growth, historical asset pickup, all of those things are far more attractive if you're in the client management space than you are if you could on the asset management space. Besides picking a path, is there other ways you're seeing that they're differentiating themselves? Well, I think with, with that path, you know, almost like any industry, if you're going to get into specialization, which is really what we're talking about here, we're talking about specializing in, in, in the client management function. It's really important that you outsource the things that are not core. And if you think about you know, another analog or a parallel in another industry, you know, the manufacturing space, when you're starting off as a small uh, production facility, you know, you don't bring in all the machinery and the equipment, you don't go out and you buy warehouses. Instead, you outsource to maybe a co-packer and you really focus on what you do best. And it's really no different in the investment advisory space. So we encourage advisors to think about what's core, focus on what you do best, and then really outsource the rest. And in our world where adhesion comes in to help in fulfilling that mission is one of the things that we do is we take on all the investment operations all the portfolio administration. We make introductions to folks like OCIOs. You know, most investment advisors, as much as they, they, they may enjoy the investment part of it, in markets like today and the last couple of weeks, you know, having a really good, solid, defensible capital market outlook, understanding why you're in each asset class and each segment and sector is really important. So pairing with an OCIO, somebody who has all those beliefs and have managers that have been selected and put together properly and assembled in the right fashion, we think that takes a lot off of the advisor's plate. We Again, we do things like portfolio management. We'll do the portfolio rebalancing, all the trading, all the tax management, cash management, all the things when I was an advisor that kept me all day and all night with Excel spreadsheets and calculators and phones, keeping me really busy trying to make sure all the portfolios were aligned. And lo and behold, when I was done at the end of the day, I had no time to talk to my clients. I had no time to grow my practice or develop my business, no time for marketing. And I also, my mindset was a little bit different. You know, when you spend all day in front of Excel and a Bloomberg terminal and a rebalancer, your mindset's a little bit different than it needs to be going into developing relationships and cultivating new relationships and networking. So we think it's really important that advisors focus on that piece, outsource everything else that's not core, and, and really develop those client relationships. That's what the practice of the future, we believe, looks like. Let's change up here. Let's talk about the breakaway trend. Is that going to continue? And if it is, where do you see them landing most? Well, so we know what's happening now. We're experiencing it. You know, it's interesting. Most breakaways that we talk to 
have left because they wanted independence of product, they wanted independence of fees, they wanted to develop their own source of revenue. Most advisors that we talk to that break away, frankly, do not want to be in the business building portfolios, rebalancing portfolios, trading portfolios. It's really about recreating what they may have had at a wirehouse, but in an independent fashion. And I hate to drive it back to outsourcing again, but frankly, what most advisors have had when they were in a wirehouse was really an outsourced environment. They're outsourcing it to the home office. So when they break away, I think one of the challenges is the first people they talk to are technology consultants. So they may be introduced to somebody who's got a fantastic rebalance or a fantastic reporting system. And next thing you know, they're piecemealing together independent kind of stacks of technology. And when they're done, they have this big Frankenstein mess on their hands. And lo and behold, they're stuck and kind of handcuffed to the office, managing and maintaining this big fee stack. So we encourage advisors, we encourage breakaway advisors to really stop and consider whether or not that's something that they want to really tie themselves to, this big technology stack and what it really means. We do think, to your, to your question, we do think that the, uh, the breakaway trend will absolutely continue. We're, like I said, we're seeing it today, and it's accelerating. It's accelerating both at the regional level, the independent level, and certainly the wirehouse level. Because I think, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's a more thoughtful time. If, if you look back, I know certainly over my 30 years in the industry, it's really a more thoughtful time of delivering advice. And I think there's been this shift away from kind of barbaric sales tactics to really taking care and cultivating your client and really managing that relationship. And I think as that begins to take hold, I think more advisors feel that there's a potential conflict of interest. We hear it all the time, that there's this massive, obvious conflict of interest inside, inside of, uh, let's say, a warehouse. And so going independent frees them of that conflict of interest, allows them to really get back to cultivating those relationships. So it will continue, and I think it's going to accelerate rapidly over the course of the next few years. You, you mentioned technology in that, in that last answer. And with all the rapid technology advances, what's your firm advising advisors what to look for and where to go? Well, you know, we have uh, partners that we work with, and we generally put them in touch with uh, with partners when it comes to uh, you know building up technology. I think here's the challenge, and we go into as as you guys may you may as well. We we go attend a lot of the industry kind of custodial conferences, right? So we'll go to the TD conference, or the Schwab conference, and you know it's interesting. There's this big survivorship bias most people don't talk about. You walk around the technology floor and you look at all the new technologies. What people don't tell you is you flash forward two years from now, 80% of them will be gone and there'll be a new set of really cool pieces of technology. So a couple of things that we suggest is, you know, first of all, go talk to people who have some staying power, understanding kind of what the investment looks like. The other thing that's really, really tricky these days is that it does not take much to build a really cool looking front end. Right? The technology costs these days are really, really low. The barriers to entry to get into the technology business is really, really low. So it's really easy to put an attractive front end, an attractive fascia on top of kind of a, something in the background that may not be working very well. And so for advisors who may not have the acumen or background in doing technology due diligence, seeing a really cool pie chart on a screen that does really cool things may be attractive. So we suggest putting everything out to RFP. Really, you know, you can get an RFP from one of the consultants we work with. You can get them online. 
and really go out there and press and understand the engine components, not just the front end. And as much as I hate to say it and be kind of a doomsdayer, we think there's a little bit of a, a bubble forming in advisor technology. There are firms out there that, you know, have, like I said, really good front ends, but they don't have the staying power. So we tell folks that, you know, really what advisors need is, you know, because one of the big, the big jokes that we hear all the time is, you know, advisors need technology to scale their business. And I say, no, what you really need is growth. Scale comes after growth. Grow first, then scale. Don't build a big operational infrastructure through a bunch of hodgepodge technologies to scale because then you're going to be in the business of managing technology. Go grow your business and then scale it. Growth, then scale. You mentioned an advisor should submit RFPs to these companies. Do they actually know what they're looking for? Well, no, they usually don't. That's the reason why I think it's important to kind of pair up with a consultant. There's a handful of really good consultants out there that work with breakaway advisors or advisors who are kind of pairing up and building teams. Obviously, anybody can reach out to us, and we're happy to make introductions to any one of these consultants. You know, there's RFPs online, but I I think it's important, you know, if you're going to spend the time and, more importantly, the capital for technology and all the incumbent support functions that go along with it. Because it's not just installing a piece of technology. It's hiring somebody, building processes around it, building redundancy around it, building QC around it. It's a, it's a big process. It's not just plugging something in. So if you're going to spend that kind of time, capital, resources on a, a technology stack, just pause for a minute. Take one of these consultants Make sure that the consultant is independent and truly doesn't have a conflict of interest. Hire them and let them get out there and start to interview some of these technology firms for you. They'll pause because they'll understand exactly what your growth objectives are. You know, are you starting, are you a de novo shop starting with nothing? Are you a larger firm you're trying to tuck things in? It's a really important cultural set of cultural interviews that have to happen before you go off into the world alone and start picking a bunch of technology because it all sounds fantastic and it looks great. But then a couple of years down the road, you're stuck with this hodgepodge of stuff. So consultants are really key there. And again, if anybody wanted to uh, be introduced to some, we, we know a handful of really good ones. Maybe with the current market conditions, we're going to see more and more advisors thinking about maybe it's time to think about their succession and move toward it. Are they ready for that? Well, we don't think so. No, we really don't. We, you know, now I will, I will preface that by saying, you know, over the last 20 years, we've been hearing about this coming wave of, uh, of retirement and succession, and it hasn't really happened yet. I know the statistics out there are not fantastic for succession planning, and I believe that it, it really is a, is a problem. However, I don't believe it's as bad as people make it out to be. The reason is, and I go to conferences all the time, and I talk to advisors, and most of the advisors we talk to are in their, you know, certainly in their late 50s and 60s and even 70s. And the reality is that they're in this business because they love this business. They love being out talking to people. So, you know, retirement for most advisors who are, by the way, entrepreneurial, most of them at heart. So to think about turning off the relationship function and just retiring, I, I, think, I think it's a little bit overblown. I think most advisors are looking at extending their, you know, their, their careers a bit. Most of the folks we talked to, I, in fact, like I said, I was talking to a bunch of advisors last week. There wasn't a single person in the room who was thinking about retiring in the next five years. And the average age was probably about 60. Everybody I talked to, without exception, said, if I were to retire, what would I do with my life? I love this business. 
And that's the beauty, and frankly, that is the beauty of being in the independent investment advisory space, because just about everybody you come across loves what they do. Once they get their practice tuned in the way that we talked about, and again, in my opinion, outsourcing most of the mechanical and administrative stuff, and you're really working on helping your clients achieve their goals and the path to retirement and through retirement, that's fun. That's what we signed up for. So yes, there's a succession problem. Yes, most advisors are probably not um, ready for it, but I don't think that the you know that the doomsday prediction of, of no succession planning is nearly is a little bit over overbought. So we we help actively. We have a, a large client base, a large advisor base, and one of the things that we actively do is we try to pair advisors who are approaching retirement with advisors, younger advisors coming up through the ranks who might potentially want to either acquire or be tucked in or purchase a practice. We make connections there. But honestly, it's, it's one of those things where, again, I think it's been a little bit oversold, you know, that there's a, this coming wave of, of, of retirements. So. Your, your passion for the industry certainly comes through just talking to you. So is this something you always want to do, financial services and working with people? Yeah, it, it is. You know, it's funny. I, I, I kind of look back on my career. I started off at Morgan Stanley, and I was a mortgage-backed trader for a number of years in Manhattan. And, you know, I quickly kind of saw the interior of the business, and I, I jumped over to an advisory firm. And so it's always been fee-based independent investment advice has always been something that I've been absolute, absolutely passionate about. And I'll tell you, the, the folks that I work with, that has to be part of their ethos as well. I think that's really important, especially advisors looking at building out teams and other folks in the investment advisory community. You know, really pick what your vision is. I mean, it's really important that, you know, if you believe in independent advice, hire people around you that also believe in that. It's, you know, it's really difficult to make people believe what you believe. So I found that in my career, surrounding myself with people who also have a high level of conviction towards providing conflict-free investment advice. Whether the, and by the way, that doesn't mean just your employees. That means your clients. That means your partners. That means everybody around you in your ecosystem has to kind of believe in that same thing. And that's, been, that's kind of been my career mission from the very beginning is, you know, how, how can we make, because ultimately we believe that one of the largest destroyers of wealth and on your path to retirement are things like fees and commissions and hidden fees. So if we can partner with a group of individuals who believe in being transparent about fees and being open with fees and charging fair fees, and there's no conflict of interest there, then we're doing a really good thing. It's a really important mission. And from time to time, we kind of have to remind ourselves that what we're doing is good work. It's really important. We're doing really important work for really important people who are working for end investors. So from our perspective, that's always been kind of my guiding mission on my, on my, my career. Well, you had some stops at some big companies, Morgan Stanley, Fidelity, and then you left those. And what made you think that you could start your own business and be successful? Well, yeah, that's it. I think it takes, and obviously this is this is career advice I would give to anybody, and I, I mentor lots of folks, and I give them this this recommendation is, you know, it makes sense to to kind of see three hundred sixty degree view of the industry, whether that means you know, directly in advice or providing guidance to advisors or being in the you know, operation, the bowels of the firm, things of that nature, I think are really, really important. So the reason 
that I ended up here at this particular firm is because I, th- I thought it was time. You know, one of the things that that I like I said before is find what you love and go all in on it. You know, and and from my perspective, we didn't see enough people providing independent platform services and kind of help growing advisors. So we decided to start ourselves. And that's what we did back in, uh, in 2004. And uh, it was, I'll tell you what, it was a big risk, but like most advisors who are going independent and deciding they want to be entrepreneurs, you take big risks. And it's a really, really rewarding and satisfying endeavor. So we did that. I'll tell you the other thing that we did that is really important, and I recommend to anybody who listens, is, you know, say no. Say no a lot. In fact, it's, it's really, it's really tricky. And I think it's uh, challenging for folks. It maybe even contradicts kind of human nature. But I tell people all the time is, you know, say no a lot more than you say yes, because then you can say yes to the things that are really important. It's a natural kind of instinct for all of us to say yes to everything that comes across our desk, right? It's a, it's a numbers game, you know, place your chips everywhere. But we tell, I tell my folks and I tell them to tell their folks and anybody who'll listen to me, go all in on one thing that you really believe in. Say yes on the really important thing, the thing that's really strategic and really put your heart into it. Again, you know, spreading your chips out to a bunch of places, I think, is a uh, recipe for failure, unfortunately. And, you know, like I said earlier, the, the last tip that I give to folks is, you know, really speak about your vision. Have, have something that you believe in deeply and surround yourself with people who also believe in that. Make sure that your vision is kind of your, your, nor, your, your guiding light. And again, I think surround yourself with you know, employees and clients and partners and vendors and everybody who kind of sees things that way. I think that's really, really important also. So you threw all your chips in at Adhesion, and there had to be some struggles along the way. When did you know you were onto some? Well, yeah, that's a good question. It's... It, it, and I think it's the, the challenge of just about anybody who is an entrepreneur is understanding, you know, how long do you stick around until this thing actually starts to flourish and <laughs> something comes out of it. And I'll tell you, the first couple of years were not that. It was failure after failure after failure. And it's the, it's the dedication that I talked about a moment ago and the belief and kind of what you're providing and the need for in the market that kind of keeps you coming back. Because... You know, I remember when I first started with Adhesion, it was 2004, and I had a pregnant wife with my first child and, you know, leaving a large institution with great, great insurance and my wife worrying about this. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was, you got to believe in what you're doing. Otherwise, otherwise you become hyperactive and you bounce from place to place to place. So for the first couple of years, it was really, really tricky because we failed at everything we did. But the way I kept telling my folks is like, look, this is a laboratory. All we're doing here is experimenting, right? We're trying new things and we're going to test them out. We're going to find, we're going to find the right combination here eventually. Because again, I know that this is the right thing to do. Investment advisors need to outsource. They need these tools. They need to grow. And maybe it's not going to happen today. Maybe it's not going to happen tomorrow. But eventually the technology tools that they have installed will be the thing that stalls them in their path to greatness and success. And so, it, you know what it was, to be honest with you, a couple of folks that we were talking to, the contract term had to run out on the technologies that they had already purchased when they were talking to us. So lo and behold, you know, for the first couple of years, what we were really running into is a two-year contract that everybody had signed 
with a technology vendor. And then these contracts started to expire, and then people started to call us and were like, you know what, this whole technology thing is not right for us. We're not growing our business. All we're doing is stuck in front of this terminal. It's time for us to start to outsource. And it was probably about 2006 and 2007 where we said, okay, we're on to something here. People started to sign. We started to get some publicity, and it became viral. And then at the end of the day, what you do is you tell your your, your clients who you've developed these partnership-like relationships with to go out and do your bidding for you, right? So then they're out there talking to other advisors and really good advisors are fantastic at networking because we freed them up to do that. So they're out at study groups and they're at conferences and they're doing our bidding for us. And then it became kind of this um, kind of self-fulfilling cycle. And uh, that's where we found ourselves um, today. And frankly, it's still happening. And it's a, it's a really, really cool thing because by the way, we're helping advisors do great things too. We can't lose sight of that also. Usually we end these podcasts with advice you may have for people who are struggling or want to be successful, but you've been doing that the whole, the whole second part of the podcast. So I'll leave you with this question. Tell us why you're excited about the future of this industry. Well, this is because the greatest industry uh, in, the, in the country, in the world, we are the luckiest place at the luckiest time. The investment advisory space independent investment advisory space is at a really unique time right now. And had we had this podcast maybe three, four months ago, I would have been excited, but probably not as excited as I am right here, right now. Because it takes a market cycle, right, for people to have perspective. When the market's up 10 20%, everybody's a do-it-yourselfer, right? It's not hard to pick some stocks or ETFs that are winning. But it takes kind of a, a pullback. It takes a black swan event. It takes an event to kind of recalibrate expectations of investors and advisors. This is not a market that folks want to go it alone. This is a tailwind for anybody who's in the investment advisory space, whether they believe it or not. I get it. Everybody's fee just took a haircut of about you know, 10% over the last few weeks. But the reality is, is now's the time to start to do what you do best, right? Call clients. Explain to them your outlook on the markets. Explain to them how it's a long-term journey. Uh, go out and build your business. Get referrals. It's a really important time right now. So I think this will, not only will the pie get bigger, I think that we will start to look at other pies too. You know, I think the, uh, the wirehouse folks, I think the independent folk, the independent broker-dealer folks, I think the movement towards fee-based investment advisory is the, the, probably the best time in the history of, uh, of, our, of our industry. And I'm totally sincere about that. And it's, it, it is an exciting time. If people want to work with Adhesion, what's the best way to find you? Well, obviously go to our website, adhesionwealth.com. We would love to uh, sit down and talk to folks about what it means to outsource and, you know, even some of the more nuanced things about, you know, how to differentiate your practice. We would love to talk about, you know, we touched on real quickly low-cost products. We can talk about how to differentiate your product and take an outsourcing platform like ours and do things that you've not been able to do in the past offer really cool tax management capabilities. We can talk about how to defend yourself against a robo-attack. There's a lot of different ways to, 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 to interact with, with folks. We'd love to chat with them. Adhesion Wealth, or certainly email me directly. My email address is on the website. We'd love to talk to any advisor. That's what we do best. So please feel free to reach out. Barrett, it's been quite a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely, Doug. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right, likewise. For everyone at Iris MediaWorks, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Permission to Succeed team, this is Doug Heikinen. Take care.